1: Today was said by Paul Klee. Art does not produce what we see, rather, it makes us see. Hello, everyone. My name is Addie Hirshton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and the creative process to inspire you and help you move forward. And yes, to inspire me and help me move forward, too. On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with Amkari Williams. Amkari is a writer and a coach who believes in the power of our personal stories to transform our lives. She believes that sharing our stories ultimately heals us, both personally and heals the world. (laughs) Amkari has written a book that's called The Playbook, Creating the Life You Want. And that book uses techniques and questions that she uses with her coaching clients to help them match their lives with their dreams. if you want to find out more about Amkari, you go to AmkariWilliams.com. Now, before I do my interview with Amkari. Um, I'm going to share my announcements with you. So it's uh, the beginning of 2018, January 2018, as I'm recording this. And I, a few days ago, did my annual New Year's Vision Board. And if for those of you who've never made a vision board, what a vision board is, is you, you go through magazines, and you clip out images that appeal to you and you clip out words that appeal to you and then you get out your glue and you, you paste them all together to make a collage and the whole idea is that you are helping make your dreams concrete in a visual form and so as i'm doing it i'm i'm thinking this is what i want in the new year this is what I'd like to see. These are the images that are appealing. And, and sometimes when you do this, it, it's really enlightening <laughs> that you, you, you realize things that you hadn't before. Um, when I made mine, you can see it on Instagram from a few days ago. And I ended up with a lot of garden images a gate leading into the garden that is my home um one big word that came up when i went through this process was the word change and after I made it, it, it helped me to see how I, I do want to change certain things in my life. And there's a lot that I want to shake up and move. And in our interview with Elm Carter, we're going to talk about shaking things up and changing things um, in a positive fashion. Um, but for me personally, in my small life, I had almost bought my dream home <laughs> last month. And what happened was we found a a house that was very close to my husband's work and it was a beautiful older home and it had a room at the front that would be perfect as an art studio that had lots of natural light. It was in a prominent location where friends and, and clients could come and meet me there. And I was really excited about it. But then the purchase of this house fell through because they hadn't been clear with where the boundary lines were for the property and there was going to be building a new uh, house next door and and the things were just not clear and and we had to back out because they threatened to build the new house a foot from our house and and it was a mess so I'm glad that we didn't do it because I'm I don't want to have a headache of um That sort. But it also kind of stopped me in my tracks because I had this vision of of what I wanted to have happen this year. And I wanted to have change as was reflected in my vision board. And then it didn't happen. And so now I'm, I'm thinking about what things do I really want to change? Maybe it's not so much that I want to change where I live, but I want to be just really pushing things forward and shaking things up so that there's just lots of growth in my business life. And I'd love to be in a place where I feel like the work that I'm doing is really progressing things forward. Just I want to make great strides. And it doesn't have to be where my business is my because my business is flexible i sell artwork at art fairs and different all sorts of different places and things and so i share this story with you of of creating my annual vision board and how it helped me to see that i do want to change things but i don't want to change everything i don't want total revolution Um, there's a lot of things that i do want to keep yet when I create something like a vision board piece of artwork, the artwork can reflect what I want. It can show what I want. It can articulate what I want. And so I certainly invite you, if you've never done it before, to try making a vision board and see where that leads. Sometimes it can surprise you what images you're drawn to and it can help you reevaluate. Another announcement to share is that I have completed the Start Selling Your Artwork online class on my online class website, outcomingofpainting.com and it will officially be available for people on January 31st. And right now I'm having an early bird discount where if you want to purchase the class, you can get it for 40% off, which is pretty big. And the start selling your artwork class is really for anyone who is interested in, in having their art business be more professional maybe even just turning it into a business in the first place. Uh, the topics that I talk about in it are steps for preparing yourself to be a business, how to price your artwork, how to deal with money, how to take in money from your patrons, how to sell your work online, how to work with galleries, <laughs> what to do, what not to do. You certainly don't want to make a faux pas with a gallery if you want to work with them. Um, how to have an art fair booth and put that together. How to work with patrons on doing commissions. And really most importantly, that I think this was the most important part of the whole Class that I made was tips for closing the sale and marketing basics. So key when you're dealing with people one-on-one, you've got to know how to talk to them so that you can um, close the sale. And it doesn't mean being pushy; just means phrasing things in the right way. And then at the end of the class, I have goal setting section where you can help articulate your dreams so that you can make them reality. All right, let's get to our wonderful chat with Amkari Williams. She has so much important, pertinent things to say. All right, well, welcome, Amkari. Oh,
0: thanks, Addie. I'm so excited to be here.
1: (laughs) I'm excited that you're here, too. First question I've got for you is, what is the story of how you became a writer?
0: Wow. You know, I think it's something I've done since I was a little kid. I actually wrote this book in second grade. (laughs) It was about my life goal, which at that time was to become a circus ballerina. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. And I wrote this book and I illustrated it, which I'm going to use the term illustrated very carefully because that is not my strong suit. I words are my thing everything I draw looks kind of like a sickly tree. So, but I did my best and I was very excited about it. And I covered it in fabric. I mean, I did the, it was quite a production. And after that, I thought, you know, I like this. I really like this. Yeah. And so I just always kept at it, whether it was journaling or some other form of writing. I've just always done it. Nice.
1: Nice. And what have you written most recently? Well, I know the answer to this, but I'm throwing this in here. Make sure that you you tell everybody about
0: it. Most recently, I wrote a piece about it being a new year, because we're at the beginning. We're in January right right now. And as someone who's very big on resolutions, I am really big on intentions. And I wrote this article on it's a new year, and... Basically, I said what I want to do in this new year is my part to overthrow the patriarchy. So <laughs> I thought I set a tiny little goal for myself—a <laughs> tiny little intention, overthrow the patriarchy, and it's part of um, it's part of my whole blogging thing that I do. But this specifically was really about saying here's where. I am, here's where we are in the world, this is what I'm up for, and getting as many women and men as I can to join me on this journey, because I just think it's going to be an amazing year for women, after kind of an awful year last year, I think that a lot of good is going to come out of what was just miserable, and I'm really excited about it, I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. I read this piece and I said, oh my gosh, I just have to respond. And so I wrote back to I think party that's good. and here me. we are chatting now. <laughs> yeah. So, I think we should start
0: the year excited. I think that that's a good way to enter into a year is mm. to have that energy because things are going to happen that are going to derail us in some way, shape, or form from whatever intention we set for ourselves. But if we start with that excitement then when we get derailed, we can remember that feeling and it can help propel us back towards whatever it is we've set our minds to do. So, yeah, so I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. We can visit again in a year and we'll see how that went.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, we should. We should. Second question, what's the story of how you became a coach? Kind of, again, it's something that... Unconsciously, I'd
0: always done. I you know, I was sort of the ringleader of my little troop of friends, and, and when anyone had a problem, they would come to me. And I think it's partly because, at heart, I am really deeply an introvert, and mm-hmm. I watch people very closely, and I always have, so I could see things that maybe they couldn't see because I was just observing all the time. And one day after, after decades of doing the here, well, you know, you're having this problem. Have you tried this? Have you tried that? I thought, you know, maybe I could do this as a job. Mm-hmm. It's not really occurred to me, but you know, a couple of people had said, you should do this for work. And I thought, oh, oh, okay. And um, a bunch of friends of mine had actually become coaches. We were a bunch of actors. And I think that it's often true for actors is that we do really pay attention to people and we understand things and we see things it's our job Mm -hmm. as actors Mm -hmm. and I so I started pursuing it more aggressively as I got trained and I started actually just hung out my shingle and it's been a fascinating journey because it does connect me to the thing I'm most interested in which is humans Mm -hmm. and who we are and how we are, and what makes us do the things we do, and how to do our lives in ways that are more satisfying for us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and often, as I said, it's easier to see that from the outside. From the inside, we're so enmeshed in whatever it is right. that we're not often able to step out and be witnesses to our own lives.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you say most often to your coaching clients? That's such a great
0: question. I think that the thing I most often say to people is to take tiny little steps because I think Mm -hmm. that we sabotage ourselves by expecting to get from point A to point S or Y or Z Mm
1: -hmm.
0: in 20 minutes. And we didn't get from where we are to we didn't get to where we are overnight and to expect us to change the patterns of a lifetime overnight or close to overnight is so deeply unfair to ourselves right. and we would never ever say to our friends well you should lose that 10 pounds by tomorrow we would never say that we would think that was ludicrous right. but we do that to ourselves in so many different realms. Well, I should stop this bad behavior pattern overnight. And then when we don't, we just eat ourselves bloody. So I think my biggest piece of advice is really take it slowly. Do one tiny thing and let that tiny thing lead to the next tiny thing. Because also then you build up this reservoir of success, internal success. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I was able to accomplish that. I was able to do this. I was able to do that thing. And it just builds and builds. So your tiny steps actually wind up accruing faster than if you just tried to make this one big leap and you're building a foundation.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: I think that's really the thing i probably say the most is tiny steps.
1: Hmm. Yeah, right on. Little, <laughs> little, little steps. You can do it if you if you take it slow.
0: Yes, you really can. I mean, and sometimes things will accelerate on their own, and that's always lovely when that happens. But I think if we set for ourselves an expectation of just doing the next necessary thing,
1: right.
0: then we set ourselves up to succeed rather than to fail. Mm.
1: So I know you're really big on personal storytelling and getting the stories out into the world so that we can heal when something tragic has happened to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your advice for how we can share those stories, but then not wallow in them? And I, this is one of my problems, and I know I'm not alone in this. And that if I start to, if I focus too much on something negative that's happened then I I'll wallow in it. I'll start to fall into self pity. How, when you're coaching people, do you help them share, get it out and then heal? It's an interesting process because
0: I think I do believe very deeply in the power of sharing our stories to heal because mm-hmm. so much of what happens when we don't share our stories. And the reason often we don't share our stories is shame mm-hmm. and Shame is just crushing. There's no healing possible if you're moving in this pool of shame all the time. It just Mm -hmm. stops you in your tracks. So when people are sharing their stories, and again, I'm not a therapist here, so this is not from a therapeutic point of view, but from the perspective of how story helps you heal, is that when you tell a story, a painful story, It may not be a story that someone else has experienced in that way, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but if you're telling your story to someone you know, and generally you're telling a painful story to someone you know, there's this piece of you that recognizes that they are going to be able to understand some element of your story, and that Mm -hmm. allows you to connect to them, and it allows you to have that experience of, Oh, yeah, I understand how that might feel. I I haven't had your experience, but I've shared experiences with you in that realm. And I understand how that might feel. And once you do that, you start breaking down those barriers that make you feel like you're alone in this. And that isolation is so soul-crushing because there's really nothing we can do by ourselves in this world. We are not designed to do things by ourselves. We are animals and we work best in our groups and we, I mean from businesses, our groups, our friendships, our groups, this is how we function best. And when we can pull in our ability to empathize and our ability to express our compassion for someone else, then everything gets much easier. And when you share your story, not only are you heard, you're seen. People actually see you. They see your pain or or your joy or your confusion or whatever it might be that you're trying to express, and they can understand that. Everyone has experienced those things in life. It doesn't have to be the specific Nature of your story that to connect to someone else's story. And so to me, I mean, you know, we're in the middle of the whole Me Too movement around sexual assault, and that is a very specific story. But pretty much there's not a woman on the planet who hasn't experienced that in some way, shape, or form. It, you know, mm-hmm. there are gradations of that kind of assault, but All women can relate to the inappropriate touching or the inappropriate comment or feeling like they need to cover themselves up to not draw unwanted attention to the extreme of women who have actually been raped. So, but we can imagine ourselves in those positions and the Me Too movement to me is a very specific example of how stories can heal. Just sharing those stories, Mm -hmm. those women found that they were not alone. And they found their power to bring some incredibly powerful men down for their inappropriate to criminal behavior. And so across the board, it's like that, whether it's, you know, about the pain of a miscarriage or the pain of losing a job that you loved and need,
1: Mm -hmm. we
0: all understand loss, we all understand pain, we all understand suffering.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, that uh, the Me Too movement is a perfect example of how, it, it, at least in my own experience, I mean, so many weird little things said over the years to me, but it's always when nobody else is around. So, in other words, the nice guys, they never see it happen. They don't really know exactly how often it happens because abusers, they only abuse when there's nobody else around. Exactly. And so, but the only way to explain this and really get this out is to collectively have a movement where we're all saying this together and we're all expressing
0: what's happening. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, no one behaves badly in public if they realize that it's bad behavior, but why right. would not they? Right. So, it and then it becomes a he said, she said. And that's always an uncomfortable position. And this is what I mean when I talk about the patriarchy, because typically, I mean, literally, what patriarchy is is a system that puts power into the hands of men. It's not about men are bad and women are good. It's about mm-hmm. a system that puts all the power into the hands of a certain segment of the population. And it's not even all of the male population. There are a lot of men who suffer under patriarchal systems because they just don't have an equal shot so when you talk about for me the Me Too movement it really is about what happens when you shine the light on the world what happens when you shine the light and create space where people can say oh you know what this doesn't work for me, and they get a whole bunch of voices that come in and say, you know, this doesn't actually work for me either. How can we make this system better? How can we make it a fairer system? How can we lift up the people that this system is leaving behind, both women and men? And to me, that is one of the amazing and really moving parts of that whole Me Too movement, is that it is about bringing equity to a system that has functioned without it. And there's so much healing in that. We all want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be loved. We want to be treated fairly across the board. That's just human nature. And when that doesn't happen, we suffer from it.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, of course, this podcast, we have so many artists who are listening, most of whom are visual artists, but there's writers and there's musicians as well. I know I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't tell you I'd ask you this question, but what would you say to the artists out there specifically and how they can um, push things forward and, uh, and create the change that they want to see? My word of the year is changed.
0: Oh, I'm not on the spot at all with that. I don't on the spot at all with that because Good. actually what I really believe is that words are for the people who are comfortable with words.
1: Mm.
0: Visual art is for the people who are comfortable with that, but they are both powerful, as is music, as is dance, as is any art form. Any art form can be used to express your feelings. I mean that's what art is. It's a representation of our world as we see it. And the way I relate to words is the way you relate to images perhaps or someone else relates to dance. So to me the goal of the artist is to express their experience, express their vision, express their their hope in their art form or their sorrow, or their grief, or whatever it is. And that is the window in for a whole segment of people who aren't going to be touched by my work because I work in a specific realm. But that's why I really do do think that it takes all of us so that we encompass all the different ways that people have of understanding things. Spoken, visual, visual, auditory, whatever it may be, I don't think it's only about words, I think it's about all of the forms. So I, I'm really excited to see what kind of art comes out of this Me Too movement. I bet there's going to be some amazing art and some amazing music. I mean, Pete Seeker combined words and music.
1: Mm-hmm. To and shape. he got everybody to sing along.
0: And he got everybody to sing along. I mean, I grew up singing Pete Seeker songs because my parents loved his music mm-hmm. and those songs really impacted my view of the world. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think there's incredible opportunity for artists right now, whatever their discipline to make an impact and make a difference and express their perspective on, this whole kind of new world we're entering into. So I think that's really exciting. I mean, I can't wait to see what people do.
1: Yeah, we're shaping it like clay. We are. <laughs> we're creating. We uh, all right. So on a, on a lighter note, uh, I just I'm intrigued by your name, Almakari. It's so beautiful. And it's Thank unique. You. I've never heard it before was this the name that you were given at birth or does it have a certain name? It is not. No. Oh, cool. Okay.
0: Oh no. no. Um, The story goes that when I was five years old, I told my mother she'd given me the wrong name. (gasps) Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. And she said, well, we almost named you Alexandra. And I was so mad at her because I loved that name that apparently I didn't talk to her for a week. I was a very challenging child. (laughs) Uh So when I was, um, I lived in an ashram for three years, a meditation ashram, and my meditation teacher actually gave me the name Omkari, and I thought, okay, this I can work with. (laughs) So so I legally changed Mm -hmm. my name, and it's always funny because it just, people had no problem going from my birth name to Omkari at all. Yeah. I mean, I thought people would find it really challenging and they didn't, which to me was indication. That, yeah, I was right. My mom had given me the wrong name.
1: So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I love it because it's such a strong name and it's so unique. And that's, that's really interesting. Um, you know, because Shakespeare said, you know, Rose by any other name would swell sweet. Right. And, and it, but That's true for roses. It, it's, it's. It, I think there's a lot of power in a name, though, <clears <clears in <throat> the way we <throat> perceive <throat> <throat> people. I'm and oh, I'm sorry, what? No, no.
0: I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> in the in the way we perceive people, in the way we feel about things, or even you know, if I name a painting, it can really change the way people. Think about it. So, for example, recently I had a painting that I had for a few years named "The Haunting of the Day," and it was based on a poem. And it was a tree and a silhouette, and um, and it had been in a lot of shows and stuff. And nobody had nobody had bought this beautiful painting that I, I loved. I had had it in my living room for a while, and um, so I named it, renamed it to "A Summer's Evening," and then it sold like that. <laughs> so yeah. I mean. Um, this one example. Um, another example, when I got married, I decided to combine our names. So we combined our last names. So uh, before we got married, my name was Wooten and my husband's last name was Hirsch. And then we combined them to Hirshton. And... The re- reason we did that was because I well, lots of reasons. One, I felt like well, if we're making a family together, then we're we're combining. We're not. I don't want to just take his name, and I don't want him to just take my name. And it didn't. I was now. I think I would be fine with just keeping my name. But at the time, I, I was 21, <laughs> and I thought you know, I I really like to to have them be together in, in a very romantic sort of a way. So. <laughs> Uh so we ended up doing that and uh there you go the rest is history cuz now it's almost Babes. 20 years but Babes
0: are really important yeah. i i really think they are and i i mean my name is sanskrit Omkari is a sanskrit name and it means the power of the sound that created the universe whoa yeah right <laughs> I mean, I have to say, when I was given the name, I thought, oh, God, couldn't she have named me something that means little flower or something? (laughs) Right. But, you know, when I'm being honest, that little flower is not who I am. And I'm not sure I've lived into Omkari fully, but it's something I aspire to, is to stand fully in my power. And so for me, my name actually acts as a reminder to do that. Right. And to not sort of let myself sort of backslide into just,
1: you know, being kind
0: of lazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not a little thing, I'm a big thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, and I think especially for women, it can be really challenging to just stand in our power because right. the world likes to tell us to be quiet. So for me, it's, um, it's a good exercise in just reminding myself, and I love the Native American tradition where when you you hit puberty, they let you choose your own name. Oh. you get take a new name, yes. and I think that is such a wonderful tradition right. because you know your parents are naming this infant, who knows what that little baby is going to turn out to be right. Right. So, I always loved the idea that you can rename yourself at one point so i I love your story about combining your names because I mean, yes, it's this very romantic thing, but it's also there was meaning behind it. You were right. thinking of doing something very intentionally, so I think it's great,
1: yeah, yeah, well, thank you. you yeah, know it's funny now because now- I guess now I'm at a point where I as much as I love my husband, I do see us as different separate people. And, you know, when we talk about marriage, it, um, I, <laughs> I am a separate unit <laughs> and I got my own thing and I've got my own life. And so I, I don't know. I'm just realizing as I'm talking to you that now all these years later, I actually, I'm kind of reacting against the we were combining and we we're in this romantic way because yes love is combining it but it, i would see it more as we we are separate and we we stay together because we want to not because we agreed to something 20 years ago and we have our own unique thing and if i um a, a while back gosh it was 10 years i went through a phase where i had to realize if I want to go to a play and he's not interested in going, I can just go. And right. I, and I had to work through because there's so much and, Oh, well, if you go out, you know, you're supposed to go together and you're, cause you're like locked at the hip for life. And I had to raise, right. you know, what? I'm, my own, I'm my own thing. And if he's not into the things I'm into, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to, that's to me,
0: I mean, that's the healthiest way we can be is, you get to do your thing and I get to do my thing and then we get to do our thing together. But right. there are these two individual people who, who have made a decision to be together because they enjoy that because mm-hmm. it feels good because it supports them in their overall goals and growth and life. And, but it's not about being joined at the hip. And right. I actually think that that is partly that joint at the hip thing is partly a manifestation of patriarchy because for so many, you know, for thousands of years, women were dependent on their husbands. So there weren't options and we're in a time now where we, we have options. We have our own jobs. We have our own money. We have our own opportunities in a way that has not been the case before. And so, yeah, but it's still, we still struggle. With that because Mm -hmm. we are citizens of this world and the environment in which we grow up and to step out in that is hard I mean I remember the first time I decided to go to the movies by myself Mm -hmm. that felt like a big deal (laughs) I remember the movie I remember everything because it felt like such a big deal to go to a movie alone and you know, now I wouldn't think twice about it. It's like, if I,
1: I'm going to the movies. You know, you, would you like to come? Yes, great. No, no worries. See you later. Right. right. And so much <clears throat> of, of growing up is <clears throat> letting go of things that in our culture we were taught, oh, this is the norm, so this is what we do. And, and we realized, you know what, just because that's the norm doesn't mean that's what I have to do. Um, if it's not right for me. It's fine if it's right for other people. So, um, I'm now thinking of wedding rings. So, wh- when I first got married, I wore a wedding ring. And then I, I read about how at the beginning of the wedding ring tradition, only women wore the ring, men didn't wear the ring. The men didn't wear the ring until the 1890s or something. Um, <clears throat> and, at the same time I read up on the diamond industry and how it it's uh they're really using a lot of child slave labor and stuff. And um and I said, you know, I I feel like this the thing was sold to me as something you've got to have this, otherwise you're not married. And so I took off the wedding ring and it felt like this really big deal. And ironically, nobody's ever asked me about it, Ankari. Um, <laughs> one of those weird symbols it's like I I read up on it and I felt really strongly and I I did this I said I'm not gonna be following the pack because I I have reasons why I feel this isn't for me it's fine if it's for other people it actually used to be for for me so I'm I'm not you know I'm not I'm not gonna tell everybody else they need to take off their rings but for me I decided to do that and um Now I'm sharing this story, now that we're having this conversation. (laughs) But it's funny because I I took off the ring and I thought everybody's going to notice. But maybe it takes more than that. Maybe it takes you've got to share the story of something in order for people to understand where you're coming from or even to take notice that something happened, that you're upset about something.
0: I would guess that people noticed that you had taken off your ring. Right. And they didn't want to ask why. I would guess that they made a whole bunch of assumptions yeah. and thought, we're just not going to ask. If she <laughs> wants to tell us, she'll tell us. That's my guess. right? Because I, I've experienced that kind of thing in my life where I've made a change and no one's asked me. And I, it, was, you know, it was things I thought, well, surely they'll ask. No. And I'm as certain as I can be that the reason is people don't want to cry. Right. And also because we're told to kind of keep our stories to ourselves. Right. So I think that a lot of what my work is about now is really blowing through that. I mean, I'm a very private person. I don't tell every detail of my private life. But there are stories that are important to share. And that then you just share them with some discrimination. I'm not going to tell the whole world everything, but I'm not going to keep secrets the way I used to keep secrets, the way I think most women have kept secrets. I'm not going to do that. I will tell a couple of people. And at least in that way, I've gotten whatever I need to get off my chest off my chest. And I've spoken my experience out into the world. And I think that as we continue to do that, we will find that it's actually pretty easy once you start and that even when it's painful, what you get on the other side is freedom and that freedom is worth the pain. So, and I think we'll start asking each other questions and say, Oh, I noticed you took off your ring is, you know, what's the story behind that? And then we can say either, let me tell you, or, you know, I'm not really ready to talk about that right now. And we have those options. We don't have to tell everyone our story, but we can. It's up to us. And I think the whole point is choice. Right. And freedom. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm. (laughs) All right. So my final question, I can't believe we're already at the final question. What is up next for you, Amkari?
0: So up next for me is really doing more public speaking and really encouraging women to use their voices because when we do, we change the world. I mean, if you think of it this way, women's wisdom is half the wisdom of the world and the world has been making decisions for generations without the input of women's wisdom. And that's gotten us to where we are right now. And I don't think that's such a good place. And I think whenever you're making a decision with half the information, you are going to make decisions that are not that strong. Mm -hmm. So what I really am encouraging women to do and what I want to speak about this year is bringing women's voices back into the conversation, bringing our wisdom and our understanding and our needs back into the conversation so that decisions that affect everybody can be made with a broad range of information, not just a narrow funnel of information. Right. So that's my goal for this year. That's, that's what I'm up to this
1: year. Right. Oh, wonderful. Well, good luck with that. And and I feel like we're actually at a really wonderful time in history to be able to share so many stories uh, because of the big bad internet. You know, you think about 20 years yeah. ago, if we wanted to share a story about something that had happened, you know, you'd have to apply to some magazine or something, and then, um, you know, or a book publisher, and then, you know, they have this pot stack of, of, uh, of, uh, what's the word they use? Uh, It's not slush, But they they get the slush. They have a huge slush pile of all these, People who want to share their stories and now, you know what, if you want to share your story, you can just share it um, through social media, on the internet, you can start up your own blog, Um, and it's really quite liberating because we've we've cut past those gatekeepers so that, yes, there are a lot of gatekeepers that have a lot of power and and so certain stories are told more than others. And, you know, I'm thinking, too, of the big media conglomerates, that they can really push certain stories and sway political views. But yes. we, can, we now have the power to share our personal stories, um, and it's so easy. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I mean, it's amazing, and it's –
0: I mean, I have my issues with the Internet because sure. – You know, it's, it's got an upside and a downside and people get to be incredibly nasty
1: anonymously.
0: And I find that despicable, but the best part of it is exactly what you said. The middleman has been eliminated and people Mm -hmm. get to just bring themselves and their experiences and their wisdom and their curiosity to this huge forum and connect with other people so even if there's no one in your town who's interested in widgets, you can find a community online that is interested in widgets and you can feed your curiosity and you can learn there right. and I think that's fabulous and so yeah, it's you know, it's like that old Chinese purse, may you live in interesting times? <laughs> so I think the times are very interesting and some of that interesting is really not that good and some of it is amazing, and right. I think for me, it's just putting my attention on the amazing part and sharing the stories that touch me and and encouraging other people to share their powerful stories. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool time to be alive with all the chaos and crazy that's going around.
1: Uh, I quite agree. Well, thank you for inspiring us today, Ankari.
0: Oh, thank you, Addy. This was so much fun. Thank you.
1: You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast.
0: To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.